Hello friends, I am Ashish Dabari, founder and CEO of Axiomize. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old ones, welcome back. Today we are joined by a world-renowned authority in the field of emulation. Yes friends, our guest today is Lauro Rizzati. Hi Lauro, welcome to our podcast today. Hi Ashish, thank you very much for the invite. Uh, very pleased to talk to you. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, I was born in Italy um, and uh, I attended all my uh, education in Italy, including um, pursuing a doctorate in double E, electronic engineering. Wow. And very quickly I realized that uh, Italy you know, is offering many good things, arts, people, landscape, but not uh, electronics actually, in that terms is lagging behind. So I had to move to other countries, which I did. I lived in Germany for a while, in England, and then in the US, uh, in particular the East Coast, uh, for a number of years working for Teradyne, which is a leader in, uh, in tester equipment, and then uh, West, uh, West Coast, uh, in particular Mentor Graphics in, in Oregon. So I joined Mentor in 1989. Um, when the company was transitioning from an old generation of uh, tools into a new generation of tools. And this transition has been very painful for the company to the extent that being uh, the number one was not EDA at the time, was called CAE, computer-aided engineering, was the number one company uh, within three years lost, uh, uh, lost the position, became number three. Um, and it was a, a lots of pain inside. Uh, management was reshuffled, uh, Dr. Wally Rice came on board as the new CEO, and one of the decisions made then uh, was that uh, uh, they wanted to become a player in a new uh, field that was called hardware emulation. And they gave me the opportunity to join this new business in the form of an acquisition. They acquired a company in France, a startup in France, by the name of Meta System. And I was new to this uh, concept of uh, taking reprogrammable hardware, mapping your design into those resources and you know, executing your design, verifying your design in the context of a real work traffic that was essentially the concept behind. Uh, there was a leader at the time by the name of QuickTurn that was using commercial reprogrammable devices. There were designings at PGAs. There were also other players. Um, uh, Icosa Systems is uh, maybe the, the second one. At any rate, what was unique to the French startup was the approach of um, the hardware approach. They designed and developed an ASIC that was essentially a small emulator, all built in silicon, uh, rather different than uh, than FPGAs, commercial FPGAs, but in two particular uh, areas. First of all, it was very fast to compile, and second, it was um, providing full visibility into the resources, the design ultimately that was mapped into this device. So, Laura, I, I want to briefly interrupt you. So, um, so you're not talking about emulation technology, right? So when you're talking about compiling hardware, you're talking about compiling them to FPGAs, right? Correct. 
All right. And which year was this you're talking about? 95. 95. So the technology was already heading in the direction because of the advent of FPGAs. People were already beginning to understand that you can actually reconfigure and recompile hardware in a more fluid sense as opposed to a more concrete ASIC sense. Am I right? In yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, sure. You're right. Yes. Uh, the point I was making, though, was that the acquired company by Mentor was unique in, in the way they implemented the hardware. They were not using commercial devices, uh -huh. uh, uh, which you know, had the two advantages compared to the commercial devices. It was very fast to compile because it didn't really, the place and route, which is a very time consuming mm -hmm. process in an FPGA was um, given the structure, the internal architecture was very fast. Um, one of the issues, you know, the, the routing resources within an FPGA, when you are using a single FPGA, more or less routing resources are okay. Uh -huh. uh, but when you, when you build an array of them, which mm -hmm. is what an emulator is all about, sure. the routing resources tend to be insufficient. They're not, not enough to, for the job. Indeed. So, uh, so, so mapping a design in, in that array, it, it's, it's a quite a challenge. Um, very easily you run into congestion, you don't have enough resources, uh, the compilation process fails, you have to recompile changing parameters, reducing the density of the resources to make available more, more routing uh, paths. And so it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a nightmare. It is a nightmare, not a bit of. And, and men, this company that Mentor acquired solved that problem to, to quite an extent. And the other thing was that the visibility into the design was 100% by, by construction. Uh, as opposed to creating visibility by compilation in, in a Xilinx or, or any FPGA, the visibility into the design is built at compile time, where you say, I want to see this and this and this, and you compile that visibility, you compile those probes. In the, in the approach of uh, this meta system, that was by construction. So basically what you're saying is when you're talking about visibility and being transparent, what you're saying is that the entire chain of mapping down the high-level signals from the RTL down to gate level, that mapping was preserved. So one could easily trace yes. back the gates back to the RTL. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That now, seemed to be yeah. quite a unique yeah. technology at the time because I now assume that you know these things are quite common <laughs> in modern day. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yes, definitely. So indeed, if we can really fast forward, uh, so as regard for what regards me and my career, that was a big change. And ever since I have been involved with emulation, so all the way back from 1995 to today, I've been, been involved with this technology uh, at Mentor and then for 11 years with a startup uh, by the name of EVE, standing for Emulation Verification Engineering, another French company, small, that I joined in 2002 and ultimately was sold to Synopsys in 2012. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I have been with there for a long, long time. They have been using Zydex FPGAs, not this custom uh, device. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a patent, a property of Mentor, of course. 
anyway, after the acquisition, um, I decided that uh, you know I wanted to continue to operate in the field, but not anymore as an employee for somebody, but rather as a consultant. And to this day, that's what I'm doing. I have to say for. You know, I like to disclose that my number one customer is Mentor Graphics. That uh, no, we reconnected. They approached me and they asked me if I would be interested in doing some consulting. And ever since, I I'm still doing that. Um, so, but I'm also looking at other things on, on the side. So, so that's, that's um, so that's very useful summary, Laura. So, effectively, what you're saying is in the last three decades, you've been involved in the technology of emulation and to the point of being at the helm of a startup, successful startup that was acquired by Synopsys. You're now providing consulting advice to a lot of mentors, customers. And you talked about the technology having matured around about the same time as FPGAs were evolving. But Laura, if I'm not wrong, FPGAs are not the only way of actually uh, obtaining an emulator. So there are other ways of actually configuring and, and, and in fact, not just configuring, building an emulator from scratch, isn't it? Absolutely correct, Ashes. Um, today, uh, and let's talk about uh, today. Uh, today, there are essentially three different architectures uh, available on the market, each one connected to a proposed by one of the three major EDA uh, vendors, so Synopsis, Cadence, and, and Mentor. Mentor continues with the old approach, obviously went through a major evolution in, in uh, uh, upgrades, but is using down to the atomic element within, within the emulator, this big machine with a huge cabinet, etc. The atomic element is an ASIC that is built for emulation, pure emulation, cannot be used for any other purpose. So it's not a general purpose FPGA. Rather, uh, you know, a micro emulator in silicon that once built in arrays becomes a big emulator. Unique approach, lots of benefits. Uh, I don't know, there are some drawbacks, but uh, we can discuss this in more detail. The yeah. other one will be yeah. Cadence. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Okay. Cadence is using a rather different, and the technology was originally. Uh, Device uh, conceived at IBM in the late 70s, early 80s, and it's called processor based um, technology emulator, which essentially consists of a huge, large array of, uh, arrays of um, Boolean solvers, Boolean processors, and ORs that are um, working off a huge memory. Uh, memory uh, database. So the compiler in those machines essentially takes your RTL and is producing a data structure that goes into a memory and then through a process of uh, timing, slicing and whatnot, it, those little Boolean processors are computing the states of the, the machines and the gates and whatnot. Um, rather different than a reprogram reprogrammable hardware. Um, two advantages. Number one is very, very fast to compile because there is no such a thing as a place route. Number two, the visibility into the elements of the design, so your gates, your registers, is total. Um, you don't have to build visibility in, into that. Um, but that is also shared by the mentor. So that's cadence. And the third one.
one is the synopsis, which is what used to be Eve using uh, Xilinx at PGAs, the latest uh, generation. Um, uh, compared to the other two, broadly speaking, runs faster, but uh, doesn't have the same degree of uh, compilation speed or and uh, design uh, debugging and visibility into the design. So this is fascinating, so, Laura. This is fascinating. Sorry to briefly interrupt you. So what you're sure. saying is one is the FPGA-based technology very fast. One is the more traditional custom processor-based technology. Um, and however, the algorithm and the cadence sense, they're slicing and, and putting it yeah. on this. And then there is the, um, the first one you talked about, um, which yeah, is mentor, mentor run. And, and the thing that strikes me is interesting is in, in 2020, where we are talking about a lot of baseline work that used to be done on a cluster of ASICs is now being outsourced on a cluster of FPGAs and the whole evolution of open source processor architecture. And I'm wondering whether in the future, these technologies are going to even impact the way emulators are built um, in the future. I mean, if you, if you think of RISC-V, for example, um, as this technology matures more and more and more high-performance processors would be built, um, I imagine this would have a direct impact on the emulator technology tomorrow. So, very, that's certainly a possibility. Um, although, you know, with all the evolution of the hardware designs, emulators are still... Uh, now, conceptually, the same things. The difference would be lots of enhancements, uh, lots of, um, for one thing, they, they, they became huge because the designs are huge. Um, but the, the basic architecture is still the same. Indeed. So, Indeed. But Lorio, so let's back, back off a bit and let's just ask this question. Why do we actually even care about emulators? I mean, I like the, the technology of how emulators are constructed and we can go on talk about this for a fair bit, but why are we? Why are we? Why do we even need emulators? You know, we have simulators. We have formal tools. I love my formal tools. Why should I care about your emulator? What's the big yes. deal here? Very, very good question. Very good question. So, just for a moment, the let me say that they have been uh, con conceived uh, for the purpose of verify your design in a representation that is actually hardware representation back in the late 80s and early 90s and exercise with real world traffic. That deployment of the emulator is called ICE for in-circuit emulation. Mm -hmm. That's still, still true today. Um, but over the past 25, 30 years, what happened was that that single mode of operation that limited the deployment to very big designs, the processors and the graphics, now is has been expanded to any type of design. Why would a, an engineer consider emulation and not go through, as you said, simulation, formal tools, uh, timing analysis tools and whatnot? Mm -hmm. For, the, for two reasons. One is purely hardware, and the other one is the embedded software. In terms of purely hardware, you have huge designs where an RTL simulator will not be of any, of any use. I mean, the, uh, on, a, on a billion gate equivalent gate design, a simulator will not even move, will mm -hmm. not even run. Mm -hmm. uh, with process, uh, you know, 
it runs at less than one cycle per second, less than one cycle wow. per second. And the Intel told me the over and over again, which is the number one consumer of emulators, by the way. Intel is number one in the world consuming emulator. Mm -hmm. uh, so simulator will run at less than one cycle per second, and they want at least one megahertz. So wow. ten, six <laughs> orders of magnitude. Uh, so, so that's what helped. The other thing would be the embedded software. Simulators don't do any good uh, in processing embedded software. Uh, they are good in, in breaking a design through the farms into small uh, subsets of, um, no, the test benches, small subsets of uh, tests and running parallel on multiple CPUs. As long as the design is, is not billion gates, but it's maybe 50,000 or 100,000 gates. I mean, million, million, 50 million, 100 millions, but not billion. Sure. Um, but software is not, it's not parallelizable. It's, it's a, by nature, it's, it's a long sequence of instructions. So it's very serial. Uh, simulator don't do any good. There is where the emulator comes into, into the picture and is, is performing the job in a, you know, it's, it's not real time, uh, runtime. It's running at one, two, three megahertz, not a gigahertz. Sure. Still, uh, it can boot an operating system in less than a day. In simulation, will take, uh, you know, the, the time, humanity eras. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's so, very interesting. So you mentioned two key things here. One is that it is actually being used to verify a real design, uh, an architecture for real design, real implementation, and software. Yes. And at this point, software. and at this point, when we're talking about billions of gates of real hardware running embedded software, we're talking about verifying real systems end to end, in presence of yes. operating systems, yes. drivers, application software. Absolutely. And at this Absolutely. point, simulation, for obvious reasons is not going to give you the scalability. And actually, I'm a big formal fan, as you know, and, and you know, I've had experience of verifying, um, you know, a billion gate design. Last year, I looked at a few networking designs that have that footprint, and the actual proof times and find, trying to find the bugs in these designs was not bad, but just trying to compile a 400 million flop design with a footprint of 1.1 billion gates in a formal tool, and perhaps one of the best formal tools in the market we're talking about consuming a terabyte of, of RAM and, and a lot of time is spent in just compilation. So coming at it from the other end of the abstraction and, and use uh, models from a formal being, you know, we say use it early and so on and emulation for system design, I can empathize with how much the technology, although maturing, we are still kind of lagging behind design complexity. But yeah. what you're saying is there is really no hope uh, to verify a real system without emulation and uh, there's no alternative, right? Uh, yeah, it, it, no, it, and the, it, one example of the success of this is the worldwide revenues uh, generated by the technology. Um, I am using here numbers that are provided by the ESD uh, e, 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 uh, Alliance. So they reported uh, in 2000, 19 for the entire uh, year, January, December, a total revenues of 600, $650 million, which is a record. Uh, personally, my opinion is that that is a conservative number. Mm -hmm. I believe that is more than that. But even if it is just that, it's $650 million dollars in, in emulation and FPGA prototyping, but the majority is emulation. Whereas C 
simulation is more 400, um, for 450 or something like that. Uh, in the past, simulation was two or two times, three times bigger than emulation. It's not anymore true. Uh, now emulation generates more dollars than simulation, and the trend will continue. Um, yeah, we were just discussing now. yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and I can certainly see that. But you remember you and I sat on a panel in DVCon some years ago and I think we were talking about how um, the setting up of an emulator farm is a non-trivial expense but also uh, employing trained engineers who understand the subtleties of um, emulation um, is also not easy. So what can, what can, so I've got two questions. So what can a company do in order to get more trained uh, resources engineers uh, for, who have the specific skills for driving efficient emulation, what can they do? And can you also tell us what would it generally take to set up a decent size emulation farm in terms of cost of dollar value and so on? Yes, uh, actually your question is multiple questions. So let me begin with a very quick uh, back of the envelope return on investment analysis and ROI, which, sure. you know, in the past I did, I did it even for, for a client, a customer. Um, of course, setting up an emulation farm or even a single emulation, we are talking about multiple million dollars. But if you believe, as we were discussing is the case, that using emulation, you can really fit into the uh, verification schedule and be on time for the time of the same that the take to manufacturing. Um, and keeping in mind, I give you here a number that I can prove that if you cut three months off the um, delivery you know, schedule of your design, sure. you can save 30, between 30 and 33% of revenues. Uh, to, in other words, if you delay by three months, you lose 33% revenues of your product. Now, today, products generate revenues in the hundreds million dollars, possibly billion of, of dollars, billions mm -hmm. of dollars. So, one-third of that, let's say just one billion dollar revenue in the lifetime of, of a product, one-third is 330 million dollars. If you can save that, and you have to spend 30 million dollars, uh, the ROI just speaks loud, right? Yeah. You spend 30 and you save 300. Uh, I, yeah. Not to mention, yeah, not to mention the, the, the respinning. Now we are talking about right. seven nano uh, process technology. Yeah, One yeah. respin there by itself will be another 30 million dollars. Just for the single respin, you pay you the whole cost of setting up a, a farm and training it an army of 20 engineers, which will not be the case because you don't need 30, 30, uh, 20 engineers. But anyway, um, so saving respins, but essentially stick to your schedule and uh, deliver a product on time means lots of savings. Um, so back to training engineers and you know, creating a team of experts. I did a study uh, not long ago, and I think you mentioned that article. It's an article, and I was comparing the time required to become an expert in simulation versus the same for an emulator. And I concluded that to, to become uh, fluent in the use of a simulator, you need to invest between one and two months. To do the same with an emulator, you have to invest probably a year or even more than a year. 
the, so we are talking about an order of magnitude of the, of the investment in time uh, between those two tools. And that's the reality because you have to learn multiple facets, facets of the technology. You need to, to learn the hardware to, to, you know, to understand what is happening underneath, but also the, the com to compile a design, which is quite a challenging. And, and then, uh, you know, become familiar how to debug a design with an emulator, which is not the same thing as a simulator sure. in other things. So, so it needs a year to become an expert and, uh, and that's what it is, essentially. Yeah, so actually, <laughs> you're saying a year, but, you know, to be honest, in the big scheme of things, it's not just this basic uh, methodology, you know, basic skills, but actually it's all about the methodology, right? How do you actually end sure, up picking sure. up the design patterns and the software and then applying this because no two designs are the same so a company like intel for example you brought up intel or any other big company who are doing gpus or they might be doing processors or networking designs they will all have yeah. different challenges for emulation use so methodology impact is significant and there is no shortcut you know and um, but you know you've been very honest that actually it does take a year but i don't know of um, any uh, verification technology where to become real expert it doesn't take a significant time I mean it takes two months you're saying for simulation in my experience it takes longer with formal a lot of the time people can get started very quickly and can start delivering results but to become a real pro you do need to spend some time in the trenches um, to to do that so that's that's useful to know but I suppose the biggest um, uh, sort of disadvantage, if not a disadvantage, but like something that prevents companies from adopting emulation right away is probably a big upward, upfront investment uh, to just get the whole infrastructure uh, installed. And then you're saying the cost of training uh, and methodology. So the way to look at it is, as you said, take a look at what it would cost for not doing any of this, delayed schedules, respins, long-term impact so depending if you're a chip vendor um you would you would consider making that investment that's what you're saying uh, it makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense so so Laura, i wanted to actually touch briefly um you know uh, there are lots of things to talk to you about uh, but in the interest of time and and uh, and not uh, being able to talk about a lot more interesting issues. You had written multiple articles in the previous years on the myths of emulation, uh, 11 myths of emulation, and I think following year you wrote an article in best use cases and the best ways of making use of the emulation. Yeah. Could you pick five of these best practices in emulation technology and share this with our listeners before we wrap up for today? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was making the point, uh, uh, just picking up randomly, a, a little bit randomly. Sure. Um, I made the point that uh, emulation is not really a replacement for simulation. No, yeah, you're not saying uh, that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, what is happening, and I anticipated five years ago, that more and more emulation will will you know, will be adopted. Uh, back then, the ratio between the two was 20, 80, more or less, or even less than that, like 10, 90. I, I don't know if it is 50, 50 today, but definitely emulation is, is, is really, really used uh, a lot. But again, it's not replacing simulation because no. the interactivity, the what-if analysis, 
at the block level, uh, simulation is, is unique, and you want to use it. You have to use it. You don't use uh, uh, emulation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we need simulation, formal and emulation. I think there's no debate about that. We need all three technologies. Okay. But I'm much more interested in discovering, while you are still with me, is is why we should really care about emulation. I think there's, I mean, with all of the developing simulator technology and parallel simulation and so on, simulators are becoming fast. Um, so, you know... Um, that, that's that's a well understood point. So let's dive deep into um, the question that I was asking you about five um, tips um, that you might want to give to our users, listeners, uh, on how to get the best out of emulation. Well, um, the... My 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 no, manual list here. Sure. Uh, uh, I say it, emulation could um, because you have lots of processing power at hand. Uh, it could create a degree of laziness. People uh, don't care in in become uh, efficient in creating the test patches, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, the test sets and whatnot. Um, so I was. Uh, making the point that uh, designers should, should be careful in what they are doing, especially design manager, to monitor what uh, the actual user are doing, because um, it, could, it could be, uh, you know, it could um, um, spoil uh, the, the engineer. That's one thing. Uh, I was saying, it, emulation is a technology that actually is bridging the hardware team uh, with the software team, the hardware verification team, with the software, uh, the uh, embedded software development team, uh, the same tool can serve both uh, communities, um, and uh, that's a uniqueness. Uh, so be aware of this and work now, especially for an engineering manager. Be sensitive, sensible to, to to this aspect, and make sure that this is the case because you can really heat and improve uh, the time time to market the, the schedule of your development uh, another thing that i didn't mention in my predictions but i see happening is the bridging of pre-silicon testing with a post-silicon testing yeah that's an interesting um, one yeah that's an interesting one yeah um because of this virtual uh, deployment of emulation where you can create a target system in software. You can model your 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 final um, environment where your design is going to be plugged into using an abstract level of, of, of language, a description of C or a variety of them, system development. Um, you can create an environment, virtual environment, in pre-silicon and also in post-silicon where you use testers real hardware on your silicon, you can transfer your entire uh, test environment to the tester, essentially. So you can model in pre-silicon the tester, and then when you are, uh, when you have real silicon coming mm -hmm. back from the foundry, mm -hmm. use the same environment on the tester. Mm -hmm. So bridging piston post-silicon. I see this happening more and more. Um, this is very interesting, actually. I, I didn't consider that actually we're heading in that direction with the emulation technology. Uh, yeah, it, it does. Yeah. 
Uh, I saw an application recently for Mentor in the 5G mm -hmm. uh, space. Mentor acquired a 5G tester company in Finland by the name of Sokal, mm -hmm. S-O-K-A-L. And what the Mentor is doing is modeling the tester using uh, system C or you know, C++, I believe. And, and then created this pre-silicon environment that is mimicking the, the, the behavior of the tester in post-silicon and therefore bridging the gap between the two. Wow. Uh, yeah. Sounds interesting. <laughs> this really does sound interesting. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, Wow, it looks like, you know, I'm just thinking right now, we, we've got so much to talk to you about, you know, I would like to catch up with you again on how to debug uh, things with emulation, because I'm sure there are enough people out there who may want to hear you out on this technology, because debug, as you said, with, with emulation is certainly non-trivial, and there are a lot of gochas that people should avoid. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a fantastic um, half an hour talking to you, Lauro. Um, I wish we could continue uh, for more. I know you have to go. Uh, you're a very busy man, although we are all kind of working from home these days due to lock, lock out yeah. or locked in. But um, yeah. I suppose uh, you're a busy man. So thank you very much for, um, for coming as a guest today. And um, we'll, we'll bring you back and we'll get more interesting technical deep dive in the topic of emulation with you. It was a great opportunity for me to talk to you today. I really enjoyed this conversation and looking forward possibly to, to you know, uh, part two sometimes in the future. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to have you on board, Laurel. Absolutely. Thank you very much, thank, man. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. So friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Do let us know by emailing us at info at .com or going to our Axiomize YouTube channel. Stay connected, stay home, stay safe, and we will be back next week.